This sports social podcast is brought to you by BetVictor, where live streams, smart stats, and in-play betting can help you make your best bet yet. 18 plus, BeGambleAware.org. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away. Specifically, the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. Hello and Happy New Year. Welcome to episode 70 VAR at the Bar podcast. I'm your host today, I'm Dan, and I'm joined by... I'm Am, Happy New Year. And I'm Chris, Happy New Year. Did you both have a good Christmas? Uh, yeah, yeah, very different to normal years, but uh, yeah, it's very nice, thank you. Did you? Yeah, very quiet. Uh, I think we've got to few minutes in the back garden with some family and that was it this year so <laughs> bit of a novelty not having to cook for everyone so wife appreciated it how was yours <laughs> um yeah it was it was quiet in the in the lack of people around the house but wasn't quiet with the kids running around <laughs> yeah it was all right apart from that it's a bit stressful did, did the kids enjoy it for both of you yeah i think so um, they got what they wanted yeah yeah i think so yeah santa came so that was the main big thing and uh enjoyed it anyway <laughs> Good stuff. So uh, I'll introduce the agenda for the podcast today. We're going to kick things off with a, a bit of a light-hearted one for the start of the new year, to ease us back into it. We're in for our top five funny player names that are currently in the Premier League. Uh, then I'll give you my entry for the good, the bad, the obscure. Chris is going to update us this week with a bit of Warnock Watch. I'll give you the latest from the Fantasy Football League. We'll introduce our top 10 Premier League flops from the 90s, and then we'll round it off with a quiz. All right, so um, we'll kick things off with the top five funny names in the Premier League today. So first of all, how did you find it? Hard. (laughs) Surprisingly, (laughs) actually. I'm not going to lie, I found it quite difficult. Um, I've, I've cheated on one, I must admit. He is still playing football. He was in the Premier League, but he's now gone down to the Championship. So I've done oh, four. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. <laughs> well, this was meant to be an easy one, just to get us back I, into it. <laughs> obviously, it's been difficult. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not. It's just trying to find funny ones, really, and um, using the correct puns, etc. But hopefully, they'll be all right. Yeah, yeah. No, there's not really any expectations for this one. I just thought it'd be a little bit different, a little bit lighthearted. Yeah, cool. All right. Well, um, have you put them in any order or do you want to just go with five or 
Uh, all of mine have got quite a similar theme, so it might be best if I read all mine out in one go. Okay. That'll be different. Uh, yeah, all right, we'll try that. You want us to kick us off then, Oh, God. All right, so here's my rubbish selection. I've gone for Willie Bowley, Robin Cock, Semi Ajayi, Jamie Cumming, and Willie Smallbone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, there's a theme there, isn't there? <laughs> a massive theme. I like them, though. I've got actually Willie Bowley on mine as well, so you've saved me from having to say that one. <laughs> <laughs> Even you can pronounce that one, Chris. I oh, know, just about, yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, Chris, did you have any? Yeah, yeah. Mine's uh, Christian Fuchs, Willie Bowley, Danny Drinkwater, Mason Mount and Isaac Success. Quite a varied. Yeah, OK. So, yeah, you've, you've come at a different angle from... Uh, from yeah, from the total, from total rudeness, it's just <laughs> funny, normal uh, language into one, one name. <laughs> yeah. All right, I'll give you mine then. Um... I've gone for a bit of a different angle on some of them, but um, oh, okay. some of them not so much. Uh, first one, Eric Dyer. I just love the kind of Dyer defending. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Sure, I didn't think of that one, actually. That's, yeah. yeah, and I, I just like to think that when he answers the phone, he says, Eric Dyer here. <laughs> yeah, very good. Very good, I like it. <laughs> uh, I went for Chelsea goalkeeper Carlo Ziga. Because it just reminds me of Spice Girls songs. Well, Zig is yeah, there'll be um, some kind of dodgy chant on the terraces one day. <laughs> uh, Christian Pulisic. I'm just thinking Pool of Sick. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I like that. I like that. Uh, this is a bit of a weird one. But it makes me laugh. It's uh, Rian Brewster. Now, the reason why it makes me laugh is that he's... Signed from Liverpool for £23.5 million, which is a hell of a lot of cash. It is. And he's returned no goals so far. And it just reminds me of that old Eddie Murphy movie, Brewster's Millions. Brewster's Millions, yeah. yeah. How can you waste your money as quickly as possible? (laughs) (laughs) Sign that guy. That's quite good, I like that. (laughs) And then my favourite is, um, it's uh, more on the level of Ant's humour, Aaron Ramsdale. (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah poor Dale <laughs> no I liked it it's, it's very different <laughs> I did I did consider Danny Drinkwater purely because especially after his whole drink driving instant <laughs> I mean, he yeah. didn't drink any water did he bless him yeah. <laughs> well, he might have thought it was water but very alcoholic so yeah no. really, this list was inspired by Ant actually when um, on our European comebacks list. You come up with a player whose name was Minge. Oh yeah. <laughs> but yeah I, was, really... I was hoping he'd transfer to the Premiership. But... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so bit of a silly one. No, no. I find yeah. one from from years ago. I think he's quite well known. Norman Conquest, which made me laugh. <laughs> yeah. <good> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that. Yeah, yeah. It's the name Norman Conquest. Goalkeeper. <laughs> no, you got you got to like, like him, haven't you? It's like uh, what was it, Danny Shitu as well, Shitu or something, isn't it? Shit. The defender. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Well, that's uh, that was short and sweet. Yeah. So I think what I'll do then is I'll crack on with giving you my latest entry for the good, the bad, the obscure. 
Have you heard of a player called Hans Jorg Butt? It's one of your um, funny names. <laughs> it's not. Right. <laughs> uh, no, I haven't actually. But I have, but I couldn't tell you why. Well, you may remind me. Okay, I'll do just that. So he was a goalkeeper. He made 479 club appearances in his career, and he scored 32 goals, all from the penalty spot. So he took 45 penalties across uh, the length of his career, and he converted 37 of them. That's an 82% conversion rate, so quite respectable. And he's taken 45, that's quite a lot. So I don't think Matt Letizia took any more than that. No. So he started off his career with the VFB Oldenburg in 1994. He had three seasons there. He helped them achieve promotion to Bundesliga 2. He scored six goals in 87 games there, and then he was snapped up by Hamburg in 1997. Uh, With Hamburg, he made 133 appearances in total, and he managed to net 19 from the penalty spot. May of 1999... He became the first goalkeeper to score two goals in a Bundesliga game as he took away two penalties against Stuttgart. And then at the start of the following season in August, he was uh, playing Stuttgart again. He scored two more goals from the penalty spot against them. (laughs) So the Stuttgart keeper, Franz Volhart, was very happy to see the back of him. In the the next season, 1999-2000, he helped Hamburg to finish third in the Bundesliga and qualified for the Champions League. And in that season, he actually scored nine goals from the penalty spot and was joint top goal scorer with Roy Praga and Tony Yeboah. Wow, that's a name from the past, Mr Yeboah. Yeah. So he's, he's on, his strike rate is on par with Yeboah. He's wow. third in the Bundesliga. So uh, in, the, in the year 2000, they obviously qualified for the Champions League and he opened his Champions League account by scoring a 72nd minute penalty against Edwin van der Sar as Hamburg drew 4-4 with Juventus in a group stage match. Wow. Uh, he moved on to Bayer Leverkusen on a free transfer in 2001 and he went on to make 191 appearances for them. Uh, not quite as prolific with his penalties, uh, scoring seven, but that's not necessarily down to him. Uh, but his performances were also noteworthy between the sticks and he earned his first cap for Germany in the year 2000. So he recognised at international level. He was selected for the uh, the Euros and the World Cup squads in 2000 and 2002, where he backed up Oliver Kahn and Jens Lehmann. And he also won a World Cup runners-up medal. In 2001-2002, he scored a Champions League goal against Juventus again, this time past Gianluigi Buffon as Leverkusen won 3-1. And he was part of the, uh, the Leverkusen team that lost to Real Madrid in the Champions League final that year. So mm-hmm. they came close to that historic treble, but then every trophy slipped through their fingers at the end of the season. So almost, almost there. In 2004, uh, but scored a penalty against Schalke. And um, you may have heard of this one, but after he scored this goal, he was celebrating, giving high fives with teammates, and then, unbeknownst to him, Schalke quickly restarted the game. And the striker took a shot straight from the kickoff. Uh, as Butt got back to his uh, penalty box, he turned around, just saw the ball floating over his head and into the goal. And the goal stood. <laughs> oh, if there was VAR back then, he would have been fine. <laughs> I, I don't know why the referee allowed that. <laughs> That's the madness, isn't it? 
Oh my god. Yeah, but um Leverkusen hung on to win three two, but it's a bit of a controversial goal and uh, a bit embarrassing for Bert. Yeah. Definitely sounds it, mate, to be honest. <laughs> you have to look that one up on YouTube. It's yeah. Uh, it's quite funny. Uh, in the 2006-2007 uh, season, but actually lost his place in the Leverkusen team. And he, uh, he had an unusual clause in his contract, which was if he failed to appear in more than half of the games in the season, then he was allowed to leave. So he, he activated that clause and was released from his contract. At the start of the next season, he signed for Benfica. But he, uh, he failed to get in their first team ahead of the Portuguese international. His name was Quim. Uh, he did make one appearance for them, and that was uh, after Quim was sent off in a match. And but his first uh, touch of the ball was to save a penalty and help Benfica hang on to a 2-1 lead with 10 men. Uh, but yeah, like I said, he didn't get much game time, and uh, he left the club at the end of the 2008 season, signed for Bayern Munich, where he was backing up uh, Michael Rensing, who was their academy product, who was chosen to uh, take over after Oliver Kahn's retirement. Um, but after some uh, poor performances from Rensing, but got his chance to start, and um, he actually secured the first team position at Bayern. And in 2009, he scored his third Champions League goal. <laughs> Any guesses who was against? Juventus. Yeah, he scored against Juventus again and Bayern <laughs> won 4-1. Oh, my God. Uh, but, yeah, his um, strong performances from Bayern actually earned him another call-up for Germany. He made their 2010 World Cup squad, again, as a backup. But he did actually play in the match, which was the third, fourth-place playoff against Uruguay. Oh, wow. He actually got to play on that stage. Uh, Bayern Munich actually signed Manuel Neuer in 2011, and but actually retired at the age of 38 in 2012. So, uh, yeah, I mentioned his uh, goal-scoring record, but he actually also saved 18 out of 61 penalties faced, which is a ratio of 29%, so almost a third of the penalties faced he saved. Uh, he actually once saved two penalties in a single Champions League game for Bayern against Bordeaux in 2009, and in the Champions League, he saved six out of nine penalties. So a very good uh, return on penalty saves in that competition. Uh, he famously saved penalty against Luis Figo against Real Madrid. And the only people to score past him were Filippo Inzaghi, Ruud van Nistelrooy and Alan Shearer. Wow. Well, I wonder he'd be good at saving them because he was taking them as well. So he knew all exactly. the tricks. Exactly. Specialist. Incredible. <laughs> So yeah, he's a player that I wasn't uh, overly aware of, but I came across, and uh, yeah, just quite a stunning career, really, when you put it in certain terms. It really was. He's had a lot, a lot of ups and downs, hasn't he? Where he's been replaced and then ends up in Bayern. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not, not bad. Great comeback. But yeah, and, he met, and I didn't know he was in Germany's international squad as well. I hadn't really no. realised that. Nice. So, yeah. That's a good one. Well, well done, there, Dan. Thanks. I'll put it under the good category, I think, for that one. Yeah, I think so. So was he the player you were thinking of, Ant, or did you not heard of him? I think I remember him from various football games I used to play. It was either Pro Evo or Champ Manager or something. I think that's why he recently had a goalkeeper taking you free penalties or something. I think it was just his name, but... I think oh, yeah. <laughs> There's not many goalkeepers of that name. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> 
All right, Chris, have you got anything for us with Mr. Warnock? Uh, yeah, I've got a quick, uh, a couple of things for us anyway. Um, obviously, been quite busy over Christmas break, so I'll give you his results. Um, the first one that we've got is Birmingham 1, Middlesbrough 4. They were actually 1-0 down in this game, but obviously turned that round. Fantastic result there. Then they played um, Sheffield Wednesday away. And this was obviously the first game that uh, Pulis was a manager for them. And guess what? Wednesday won 2-1. <laughs> uh, so a bit of a... That's, your, that's the championship. All of two games, isn't it? You flash one team away from home and then you a, te- a team that you expect to, uh, to win, you lose. Then the game last weekend against Wickham. Uh, they were 1-0 down, but ended up winning 3-1 away from home. So... As we speak, they're seventh in the league, one point away from sixth, seven points away from second, and 11 points away from first. So well in the hunt still playoff-wise. Unfortunately, this week, though, they've had um, a COVID outbreak. Mm, Yeah, they're not Uh, the only ones, are they? No, no. And so they're having to do a fringe slash under-23 team for their match in the FA Cup, I think it's tomorrow, against Brentford. Uh, Our boy Warnock said, I'm trying to see what we can do. Um, Fortunately, there'll be no fans there, so I won't get criticised too much, he said (laughs) about this. And about his fringe players, um, Warnock said, their agents have been telling me for months now how good they are, so let's just see how good good they are. (laughs) In typical Warnock fashion. Yeah. So yeah, like many, like you said, like many EFL clubs, they've uh, had a bit of an outbreak. So I guess there's a few cancellations of games at the moment. And to be honest, that's all I've got really of any sort of funny, funny um, quotes from Warnock. Anyway, he's been quite serious over Christmas <laughs> right. and a bit of a letdown for me. That's good. And just one other thing that they actually re-signed Duncan Watmore on a new contract. He was on a short-term contract. He can you guys remember who he used to play for? Sunderland. Correct. You see, rivalries don't count for much now, do they? <laughs> <laughs> Scored five goals in six games, so no wonder uh, they've got him on a full-time contract now. Well, it sounds like they're doing well in the league, seventh position. Yeah, one point away from uh, Watford, who are sixth at the moment. Yeah, hanging in there. Hanging in there, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think they've got quite a young, young squad as well. So we just see how they get on, obviously, at the weekend against Brentford. So, uh, yeah, you, you touched on the COVID outbreaks. I know it's not on the agenda, but we've seen in, in the press a couple of weeks ago there were certain parties pushing for a bit of a circuit break uh, in the Premier League. And that was, um, that was basically we're told that's not going to happen. What's your guys' opinion on the the current situation and how things are in the country generally? Do you think football should stop? It's a real tough one, to be honest. My heart goes more like yes, to be honest. Just the amount of people that are suffering at the moment. And I just think having that going on at the moment, having professional sport as a whole, I just think isn't quite right really at the moment. In this in this time, even if it's a break for say two to to four weeks, I think that would be be, be perfect. So I'm sure Sam Allardyce will totally agree with us at the moment. 
But on a, so Oli Gunnar Solskjaer might not agree with you. No, no, of course not. What do you think, guys? Um, I mean, it's getting to the point now where every day it's like one of the big team or well, uh, any team is having loads of cases and having to field weakened teams, and you just think to yourself, "What's the point in carrying on? You might as well just, you know, have, have a break and rest it for a bit." But then you never really like we're still playing catch up from last season, so. Yeah. I do get it, but I do feel, especially for the EFL clubs, you know, the the ones where they haven't got the ability to get tests straight away, that they're just coming out with, you know, even from championship down, it just doesn't, it's just not particularly safe unless they're given sort of a load of free tests that they can do on a weekly basis themselves, but they just can't afford it. A lot of these clubs can't. And I think it's at the low, lowest of people's agenda, as much as I hate to say it, to pay for these. It's almost like they have to do it. I mean, if you look at, if we go back all the way back to Leighton Orient Spurs in the League Cup match, yeah. that could have been easily dodged, couldn't it, really, if they were able to give the same priority for the lower leagues as they are for the Premier League. But again, as we know, money talks and Premier League can just do these tests on a weekly basis, but lower league clubs can't. Yeah, you're true. It's uh, different circumstances uh, depending on the wealth of the club. And the thing that stands out for me, though, is that there's just a big change in the state of the country, isn't there? This mm. new strain of the virus seems to be far more easy to transmit, and that's why we're seeing these outbreaks. Because um, all these clubs have had processes in place. They've all had their own bubbles. But now suddenly that's not enough and it's not working, is it? Mm-hmm. So something's got to change. I mean, I'd love for football to continue, but we need, I think someone needs to have a big, hard look at this and come up with yeah. something that's better and stands a chance of working. Because at the minute, it's not working. Is it? Everyone else is getting told to stay at home, stay at home, and then you've got all these players. I know they're getting tested and all mm. that, but they're gallivanting up and down the country. You know, all it takes is one of them to nip to Tesco in the week or go to a nightclub. Yeah, yeah, true, true. Not mentioning any names there. <laughs> We know how no, we all know how responsible our football players are. <laughs> well, moving on to that, then we've had some players who have been photographed breaking the lockdown rules. Do you have any thoughts on what uh, appropriate punishment for that would be? Banned. They need to be banned from games for a few games. Yeah, I mean, banning them because they've got you know got money. Yeah, they've got money. You could just still find them, but the club finds them and. Um, say, in a month of, you know, four games or five-game ban. I mean... So- yeah, sorry to take us off track with that. I just thought it would uh, be... A, it was quite relevant to the times at the moment and it uh, would be worth touching on since you brought it up on your, your wall and watch, Chris. I think if um, Man United go top of the league with their game in hand, I think I'm, I'll be quite happy for them to null and void the season this year. Null and void. <laughs> <laughs> I was very much against it last year, but I think this year I'm quite happy for it to. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why. I don't know what's changed. But just, just end it now. Make Liverpool champions the top. Job done. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, all their problems stem from the fact that they've lost Jack O'Connell to injury. So I update everybody with fantasy football. Oh, yes. Uh, do you have to? Yeah, yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> So I'll, I'll do a three first. So out of us three, Ant, you're leading the way. You're in 22nd mm. place in our league. 
898 points. And then you're followed by Chris, who's in 33rd place in our league. 849 points. And then I'm I'm bringing up the rear now in 37th place with 819 points. You did absolutely smash it the other day, though, from what I saw. Well, yeah, just shows how far behind I was. <laughs> I had three weeks of just awful scores. And two of them, I think my bench beat my first team. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. But, yeah, um, moving on to someone who did, actually, did well last week, uh, Luke Cameron, his team named Spookus, he scored 82 points. Uh, his team... Oh, he had uh, Hugo Lloris in goal, got clean sheet, seven points. Uh, Bednarek in defence got seven points. Then he had in midfield uh, Son, 13 points. Bruno Fernandes, 10 points. Pedro Neto, five points. Jack Grealish, seven points. Anthony Martial, six points. And Harry Kames is captain, playing 24 points. Oh, yeah. Good. That's a side week, that is. Uh, but still top of the league, it's Clerk de Cruz, the lockdown 11. He's got 1,066 points now and a 38-point oh. cushion at the top. Jesus. Yeah, he's nailing it. That's very impressive, I must admit. Yeah, he's well on track to being the uh, VAR at the bar fantasy football champion. Got to keep oh. it up, though. I was quite annoyed. I had my lowest score for a few weeks, and it coincided with the uh, cup week. I got knocked out. Uh, <laughs> of, all, of all the weeks, yeah, low score is that week. Which makes me feel any better. I didn't even qualify for the cup. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I feel a little bit better. <laughs> Anzilbud experienced one of the most unusual moments in Bundesliga history. But what exactly happened back in the 2003-04 season? Leverkusen goalkeeper Butt made a name for himself in the Bundesliga as a specialist from the penalty spot. He stepped up once again in a game away to Schalke 04. Yet another cool spot kick from the keeper to all but wrap up the game at 3-1. A good reason to celebrate then. And celebrate. And keep on celebrating for just a bit too long. Then Schalke's Mike Hanker had a brainwave. He reacted quickly, hitting a lob from the centre spot, with Bud still running back to his line. A fantastic goal from around 50 metres out, although Essendon Fear still ended up losing the game 3 2. Nevertheless, it's a goal that Hans Jokbud and Mike Hanker will probably never forget. Time to move on to our top 10 Premier League flops from the 1990s. As I always ask you, how did you find this list? Well, I found it easier than some of the ones we've had in recent weeks. But okay. uh, it's, it's defining what's a, what's a flop and what's just a, a bad transfer, if you like. Yeah, okay. I understand your dilemma. How did you find it, Chris? Uh, yeah, exactly the same as uh, Ant. Really, like you've, there's some been some massive, obviously flops before, but it's interpretation on how much they bought the player for, maybe, and how many games the guys played, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Different permutations on how you want to sort of gauge it, really, isn't it? Yeah, 
Yeah, I agree. Um, in terms of flop, I always looked at the expectation on the signing. Sometimes it was about reputation. Sometimes it's about the cash value. But, but the one thing I would say is that um, narrowing it down to the nineties helped me because um, going beyond the nineties, there was so much uh, cash being splashed about on players that <laughs> weren't that great. There's yeah, a lot of flops. Definitely. Yeah, even to this day, really, it, there's a lot of flops. Yeah. Um, Chelsea it's, Man City yeah, Liverpool totally all been guilty of it. Yeah. 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 All right. Well let's get started then. So I'm gonna to come to Chris first, if you can give us your number ten, please. Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm starting things off with Ily Dimitrescu. I guess you all heard of him, have you? Yes. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yep. Right then, so he had a great World Cup in nineteen ninety four. As you probably well know, that Romania did pretty damn good in that World Cup. Um, they had plays, play, other players like Hadji and uh, Florian Rajachuri. Um I think they made it to the, I'm saying, am I right to say quarterfinals of that World Quarter, Cup? Quarters, I think. Quarters, yeah. Um, and by that, that um, success, obviously Dimitrescu was a major part of this and he, he earned his, his big move to Spurs in 1994 under the manager of Ozzy Ardiles and he moved for 2.6 million. As you probably well know, Ardiles' ethos was quite similar to like Kevin Keegan. If you score three, we will score four. So that was absolutely perfect for the way that um, Dimitrescu played. It's quite attacking and um, he, he liked to sort of push more up front. Didn't like to defend too much. Uh, but unfortunately, Ardiles actually got sacked and was placed by Jerry Francis. But before that happened, uh, he did manage to get four goals in his first 13 appearances. But like I said, Jerry Francis then took over and he was a lot more tentative with uh, his formation. And he preferred a talented group of players instead of individuals with a more solid unit. Uh, and there's no room for anyone that didn't want to work. And unfortunately, that was a bit of a failing for Dimitrescu because um, that wasn't really his strong point was the tracking, etc. back. Uh, so unfortunately, he fell out of favour after those 13 starts. Uh, he was then loaned off to Seville. Uh, had a really successful time there and they thought, oh, oh, great, we can make this permanent. But Spurs wanted a bit too much money for him. So, in, so instead, he ended up moving to West Ham in March 1996 for £1.5 million. During his um, whole time at Spurs, there was also um, a legal um, issue um, where um, he was actually rumoured to have been involved with a prostitute he was later acquitted from that, but during his Spurs career, I think that tainted it quite a lot um, because obviously a new player coming into the team and with that hanging over them, I don't think would have been a best start to his career. So as much as I I think he, he did quite well with the, the four goals in 13 games, I just think that he was very unused and due to off-the-field problems as well. That's why I put him at my number 10. Yeah, maybe let himself down a bit with it. Yeah, it's an interesting one though because um, we've not really talked on this podcast about uh, that Tottenham team under our dealers where he tried to play five players up front or something stupid. 
that, that was exactly what they called. He called it sort of the Diamond Five or something like that. He bought, reading in this, he bought Dimitrescu. And obviously the, the Spurs fans were like really happy. And then I think he bought Klinsman in as well. Yep. And then they just went absolutely mad. And then I think he just got a little think he just got a little bit hyper with all these attacking players and then he actually forgot that they needed a midfield and, and a solid unit to to help. <laughs> yeah, a lot of goals in that match as well. Yes. A couple, I, I think a four I think he, he Dimitrescu scored his first goal in like a four three win against Sheffield Wednesday. Oh, that's an interesting one. It was good to hear a bit about Dumitrescu. I know he um, he didn't quite achieve his potential in the Premier League for sure, and he suffered a bit with the change of manager, change of system. Couldn't find his place in the team. So, and that's a pattern we might see a, quite a bit of him on these lists. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Especially with my picks, by the sounds of things. So. <laughs> All right, good start, Chris. Um, who have you got? Your number ten, and. Uh, I've gone with Massimo Taibbi at number 10. Oh, okay. I'm actually putting him a bit higher on my list. Thought, I thought people might have done. I Ooh. put him at number two. Oh, okay. Yeah, ditto. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. We'll we talk about him later. Okay, cool. Uh, so my number 10, I've gone for Paul Stewart after he joined Liverpool. Yes. Yeah. He, he was considered. Yeah, so he signed. He signed for Liverpool in 1992 for 2.3 million pounds. Uh, the background to it was that he signed from Spurs. Uh, he joined them for 1.7 million pounds a couple of years prior, and he was uh, a striker when they signed him. But they actually deployed him in midfield, uh, and that was uh, successful for him. And he helped Tottenham win the FA Cup, and he scored in the final of that competition. And when Liverpool signed him, they decided to use him as a second striker behind Ian Rush after Dean Saunders left the club. So in theory, that should have worked because Stewart had experience of both roles. But he only actually returned one goal in 24 games that season as Liverpool struggled in that first year of the Premier League. They finished sixth in the end, but they didn't have a great season by their standards. Uh, the following season, he only managed eight league appearances, and that was due to the, uh, the emergence of Robbie Fowler and uh, Nigel Clough being signed and being preferred in the lineup. Uh, this left uh, Stewart out in the cold, and he had to go out on loan to Wolves and then to Burnley before he ultimately ended up joining Sunderland on a free transfer in 1996. So, um, yeah, for 2.3 million back in 1992, that was a that was a big sum of money back then. He was one of the most expensive players yeah. in English football at that time. So um, that's, a, yeah. that's a pretty big fall from grace. No, that's a good one there, mate. I, mem- I remember him at Spurs. He was a very capable player, wasn't he? Um, yeah. Back then. And again, another one that seemed to probably maybe feel the pressure a little bit at Liverpool. And like I said, was played slightly in- wrongly as well. I think so, yeah. And, um, yeah. All right, we're on to number nine now, Chris. Yep, okay. My number nine is Karol Baborski. Okay. Anyone got him him on your list? I've got him a bit higher. Oh, have you? Yeah, I've got my number three. Number three, right, yo. Can wait until the top three if you want, as he's one of your bigger ones. Yeah, go on then. Yeah, we'll protect the top three. 
Yeah. If we protect the top three, that's a good idea. And then we sound like we work for the Premier League. Protect the top three. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, okay. Ant, who you got number nine? Uh, I've got Torben Pietschnik. Oh, okay. Liverpool. Yeah, another Liverpool one. Anyone else? No, he was considered. No, I didn't. Um, I, I didn't. I didn't. To be honest, I didn't really fully understand what the the expectations were when they, he was signed. So, do enlighten me. <laughs> well, I think he, he was basically he was signed by Sunes because when Denmark won Euro '92, he was one of the, their standout players, especially in the final. Apparently, jumping and, on the bandwagon. Um, yeah. So Sunes <laughs> kind of jumped on the bandwagon and signed him for anyone else could. I'm not sure there was a massive queue for him. Um, <laughs> um, he made 16 first-team appearances for Liverpool in the 92-93 season and then only managed one in the whole 93-94 season. And then when Sunis was replaced by Roy Evans in 94, uh, Picnic was realised that he was no longer required and uh, requested a transfer. And he's always been widely regarded as one of Liverpool's worst signings. Yeah. We could easily have a top ten of Graeme Souness's worst signings, couldn't we? Oh, yeah, easily. Oh. There's one for another day. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Dan. Now I'll move on to my number nine. I've gone for Christian Daly. Ooh, Dar- oh, Derby. Okay. He was a Derby, but um, I put him on here for his transfer from Derby to Blackburn. Ah, uh, yeah, of course. So um, he spent a couple of seasons at Derby where he established himself as a capable defender. And he transferred to Blackburn in 1998 for an astonishing £5.35 million. Pounds. Yeah. Wow. Let that sink in. Um, wow. He transferred for all that money, uh, which for a centre-back at that time is um, surprising. Uh, the following season, Blackburn were relegated. Uh, Daly lost his place in the team uh, in the in the second tier in the Blackburn team, and then he was transferred to West Ham. So he moved back to the Premier League, and that's for a sum of £1.7 million. Pounds. So it took a hefty hit of a loss on that transfer. <laughs> um, at West Ham, he spent six years there, um, really as a squad player in and out of the team. But yeah, I, I'm just absolutely shocked to see the amount that he transferred for to have all that, and then they get relegated the next season, selling for a fraction of the price. That for me, that's a definition of a flop. Yeah, no, definitely, mate. I totally agree with that one. Wow. <laughs> all right, so we're on to number eight, Chris. Yeah. Okay, mine is um, Eric Miser. Oh yeah, oh, another, another Liverpool yeah. flop. <laughs> yeah, that's the one. He was he was considered uh, by Liverpool. me. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was a, it was a tough one to be honest to put him on there because he seems such a nice guy from what I've read about him, and everyone <laughs> sort of I really liked him. I feel like I'm doing him an injustice, like a, a personal attack on him. Um, but no, I mean he was bought from Leverkusen as a free by um, Julier. Um, at Leverkusen, they actually formed a really good partnership with um, Ulf Kersin. He was actually 30 at the time when he moved to Liverpool, which I thought was quite old for um, the transfer uh, on a free. Uh, it was very, very difficult to break into the first team with Heskey, Fowler and Owen. Um, 
made a lot of sub appearances and a goal against Hull. Um, he only managed 24 appearances in that in two seasons. Uh, he ended up going on loan to Preston, but then moved back to Germany with Hamburg in 2001. He actually became a bit of a cult figure, though. Um, people started calling him Mad Eric because um, when when the Reds played in the 2001 UEFA Cup final in Dortmund, uh, and thousands um, of fans made their way to Germany, he was right in the middle of the festivities as well, having a beers with the fans and and celebrating as well. So he just seems like a, a real real lad, real nice guy. <laughs> And um, yeah, so that I mean, I didn't really have too much on him because, to be honest, with all due respect to the guy, he didn't really do much at Liverpool. He didn't make an impact. Yeah, because the bottom line, isn't it? He didn't make an impact on. No, he he was bored. He's quite old, obviously, as well. So he's obviously there to make the squad numbers, and he was never going to break through. um, You know, the Fowler Owen Heskey partnership was he? You know, but. He's probably a solid uh, sub, I guess, at best. So, yeah, that's why I put him at my number eight. Okay. I seem to remember he got signed with Titi Kamara. I think they both came together. Um, yeah, oh, okay. That's my only real memory of him, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll be honest, I don't really remember watching him play. <laughs> don't think many people do in this country. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, who have you gone for at number 8? Uh, number 8, I've gone with uh, Andrea Salenzi Oh, oh yeah, Snap yep. How can it be Snap? Yeah, read can't be snap. Just <laughs> yours. <laughs> as, in, as in, I've got him on my list Sorry, he's on my list uh, Number 6 on mine Okay he was one of the top scorers in Serie A in '94, um, and he was a, at the time an Italy international. He was then signed to replace Stan Collymore, who had just been sold to Liverpool, um, and he just got completely ostracised as the first Italian Premier League history. Really, failed to score in the first twelve appearances, only three three of which were starts, and then Forrest had enough of him and sent him back to Italy on loan, which um, he never came back from. <laughs> Pretty much long and short of it. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've not got much more to be honest. Um, uh, he struggled to get into the Forest team in the uh, 95-96 season, and then he went to Venezia on loan. And apparently, he uh, refused to return from his loan spell. In response to this, <laughs> uh, the new manager at Forest, Dave Bassett, tore up his contract, <laughs> which, I, which I find quite funny. Yeah, that's good. He was on yeah. 30 grand a week. Oh, really? Red. At that time, in that time, that's a hell of a lot of money, wasn't it? That's incredible. Really? It was signed for £1.8 million pounds as well. And Forrest yeah. didn't recoup anything for it. Yeah, he made his only cap for Italy in 94 season. And I think the season um, before he, he was bought, he didn't have a great season, but I think they just went on his um, reputation. And because of his size, he's six foot three, and with with quality players like Steve Stone and Ian Wohan whipping in crosses, they thought, "Great, we're going to have someone quite good, very good in the air, and 
technically good, obviously, for being probably the looks at the stereotype of being technically gifted. Um, but it didn't quite work out at all like that, did it? <laughs> they, should have, they should have bought Niall Quinn instead, shouldn't they? Well, yeah. <laughs> Would have saved a lot of money, mate. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> right. So you've gone snap, didn't you? So you want you want my number seven, isn't it? Yeah, you're right. Number seven, Chris. Yeah. Okay. Um, that is. Um, I've gone with Sasa Sergic. Can you remember him? Aston Villa. Yeah, Bolton. that's the one. Ex Bolton. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. So I've gone with Sasa Sergic. Uh, Brian Little um, bought him. For four million back in 1996, from relegated Bolton. Um, at the time, Villa won the League Cup, so they just qualified for the UEFA Cup, which is now obviously Europa League. Um, they nicknamed him, named him the Serbian George Best, as well. <laughs> Not sure about that, but we have. But I think at times he did did do a bit of magic. Um, he was on quite a hefty wage back then of about 11 grand. Uh, made 22 appearances in his first season, but was very out of form. He became settled, unsettled sorry, in January of the second season and wanted a move. He described Villa as the worst decision of his life to move from Bolton. Uh, his relationship with Brian Little became very sour. Sergic pu- publicly said that he's fed up with the way Little and the directors have treated him by not allowing him the opportunity to show what he can do. And they both took great delight in criticising each other in the media as well at that time. In midfield, though, if you've got to remember that Villa actually had um, Mark Draper, Ian Taylor, Andy Townsend at that time. So it's quite a big fight to to fit him into their sort of way of playing. And I think he was a bit ostracised because of that. Uh, but during his time um, away from playing football, his lifestyle was a little bit interesting as well. Bit of a complex man. He admitted um, to actually having a drugs problem uh, during his time at Villa. Um, had a very much of a big party lifestyle as well. And uh, here's an interesting fact. He even purchased a double-decker bus. <laughs> don't know what for. Just a random thing. Um, eventually, when Little uh, resigned in 1998, um, John Gregory quickly sold him, made a, a loss. Um, he sold him for £1 million. So it's quite a big loss there. And yeah. I think, to be honest, John Gregory, I think he had his hands full with uh, Stan Collymore as well. So I think he was quite happy to get rid of another nuisance, <laughs> in brackets, player. Yeah. So, yeah, that's why I put him there. Because I think he, well, when I watched him back in the day at Bolton, he looked very, um, sort of at times, like a, like a mini Georgie Kincladze type sort of player. Um, but you have to have the right formation, don't you, for that sort of player? And I just think that he didn't quite fit into Villa's plans. Yeah, no, that's a really good one, Chris. Um, I didn't really know a lot of um, the problems he had at Villa. I didn't know he transferred for four million pounds either. That's a I know. hefty big, big money again back back then. I know we we, we say four million now, and it's sort of like quite low, isn't it? <laughs> you mm. take that as a punt, don't you? Now, <laughs> but back then it was a big big deal you know so yeah and I remember him from Bolton he was outstanding there mm. uh, 
I'm very bad in my fantasy team. Yeah, loads of points every week. I think he was very well well liked there, and unfortunately, they got like I say, they got relegated. So I guess he just moved where there yeah. was the money. Obviously, that's no, a good one. Thank you. All right, so on to your number seven now, Ant. Uh, I've gone with Marcelino, Newcastle. Oh, Marcelino, yeah. Oh, I've got a bit higher. Yeah. yeah, I thought people might have done. Yeah, yeah. You've, you've, you've broken my top three again. Oh, <laughs> wait then. We've got to wait then. We've got to wait. Yeah, that's fair enough. It's an interesting story though, isn't it? It's worth the wait. Have you got them on your list, Chris? I have, yeah. About number five. All right. All right, I'll give you my number seven. I've one for Gabriel Ambrosetti. I've heard of him. I remember him. I know so, the name. Was he from okay. the event? No, 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 he wasn't even. It was uh, it was signed by Chelsea in uh, 1999. He played against Chelsea for Venezia in 1998 in the Cup Winners' Cup semi-final. And uh, Chelsea were impressed by his performances. So the following year, uh, Gianluca Vialli signed him for Chelsea for £3.5 million. And he told the English press that he'd just signed the Italian Ryan Giggs. So that, that's setting the bar quite high. Um, he only actually made 16 league appearances for Chelsea over the next four years. That's poor, no, isn't it? He didn't really resemble Ryan Giggs either when he played. So um, he spent a lot of time being loaned back to Italian clubs uh, before finally his contract ran out and he joined Piacenza on a free transfer. So he, he really didn't uh, amount to any of his promise, unfortunately. So, yeah. The uh, the very definition of a Premier League flop. He wasn't suited to English football at all. Yeah, it, it really surprises me, mate. You know, when like reading into these, and you just see like where they, they lower the the price so much when they have the flop in the Premier League, don't they? And they, they never make any money. The clubs do off them, or they go down to a second division team in their own country, or something like that. It's never that they're able to get to back to that level again that they were before they went to the Premier League club. It's very, very odd, isn't it? Yeah, yeah you're right. If you, I mean, all, all, if you look at them, and I'm sure with the other ones in the list, we can probably go and see, say, well, as soon as I went into that Premier League club, that was like the end of their career sort of thing. <laughs> maybe it's confidence, I don't know. Maybe it just gets knocked out. It might be, it. yeah, I think so. I think so, yeah. That's a good one, uh, Dan. Oh, thanks. All right, so that's my number seven. Uh, moving on to number six now. Who have you got, Chris? Uh, Salenzi, mate. We already oh, got him. Yeah. Okay, cool, thanks. Um, so, Ant, you're number six. I've got a funny feeling you might have this one higher. Um, Kevin Davies. You went no. to that I've put him at number five. So, yeah, do continue. Okay. I mean, I was kind of a bit on the fence about him because he was obviously a very young striker at the time and he'd just scored nine goals in 25 appearances for Southampton Premiership and he'd obviously been quite prolific for Chesterfield um, before then. And then after a year at Southampton, Blackburn, which I think was the same season that they spent about five million on your Christian Daly, (laughs) spent 7.5 million on um, Davies, which was a hell of a lot of money back then. That's incredible. Ten, ten times what Southampton have paid for 
for him one year earlier. Um, and it just backfired. He scored one goal all year for Blackburn and then they got relegated. And then he went back to Southampton the following season in the player swap. But I was kind of on the fence because I suppose he was, he was a flop back then, but what he had done, what he's done since, you know, he's always been a quite a steady striker since. So maybe it was just obviously a, a blip at Blackburn. Yeah, so it comes back to that sort of defining what you mean by flop. Because is, is yeah. Kevin Davis a Premier League flop? No, he's not. No. It was no. that transfer flop. Absolutely. Yeah. It's all about timing as well, isn't it? And I just think that they probably sometimes, like, a lot of things have to be done, obviously, with a player, but a transfer fee can sometimes roam heavy on some people's shoulders, can't it? Yeah. Like, we see yeah. with, with them and... Like and, you know, you, you, you perhaps don't play the same style of football as... Exactly. The team. When he signed for Blackburn, in fact, £7.5 million, part of the deal was James Beattie went in the other direction. Oh, OK. So Southampton have got James Beattie, who went on to great things, and £7.5 million. <laughs> And then they got Kevin Davis back for, in swap for Eddie Austinstadt as well. <laughs> Oh, they did all right then, didn't they? Yes, Southampton did great. <laughs> some of Blackburn's transfers at that time are just mind-blowing. You could make a top 10 bad Blackburn transfers from the 90s. You really could. I I think we should do one with a Blackburn one and also a Newcastle That's in the 25-year exactly <laughs> history. I think that a Liverpool one needs to be done as well, to be honest. Mind-boggling. Well, I don't know. I mean, I was doing some of my research with some of the Newcastle ones. So, <laughs> so many names. So many players. You can't, you can't remember. You I can't. Yeah, you, there's so many. You just got, you lose count. <laughs> well, Man City, when they got money, they used to buy everyone under the sun. Yeah. Everyone was pretty yeah. great. <laughs> exactly. I've got my number six here. Is Chris Sutton. Chris Sutton's my number one, Dan. Okay. Why you know? I've got my number two. <laughs> All right. We'll save Chris Sutton. <laughs> yeah. We're going to have to do a recap, I think, at the end of this for the listeners. Just yeah. So it's kind of complicated, some, isn't it? It makes a bit more sense. Chris, we're moving on to number five. Yeah, mine was uh, Marcelino. Marcelino. Okay. I've got that one at number three, so we'll, we'll keep that one for now. Yeah, sure. So back to you, Andy. Yeah, <laughs> I've gone with Stefan Gwivac. Ooh. My number four. Oh. <laughs> not only is he not on my list, but I don't know who he is. <laughs> Stefan Divac. What? Well, you soon find I'm, out. Am Dan. I pronouncing him right? Givash. Give, oh, Givash. Oh, I know who Stefan Givash is. I googled how to pronounce him and apparently told me to say Gwivac. So can, can, can that's, I, if that's wrong. <laughs> can I just say to our listeners, I've pronounced something correctly and you two didn't. What is this what I'm coming to? Is this what 2021 is coming up to, guys? Come on. My vocabulary is improving that it, much. It is, like, mate, because you, you mentioned that Fulham player the, the other week that I still can't pronounce. Ask you solid. You managed to get um, Dumitrescu out of your mouth as well earlier. Well, yeah. He's definitely improving. <laughs> Come on, let's hear about Stefan Givash then. 
Uh, so back in 98, he had become very highly rated after scoring uh, 43 legals for Auxerre across the previous two seasons. And he made it into the squad for the 98 World Cup. He didn't score a goal in the World Cup, mind you, but that didn't stop Kenny Dalglish from um, from buying him. So he, he actually scored on his debut, and that was as good as it got. And he only played another three times for the Magpies, twice from the bench, uh, before he got offloaded for Rangers three months after arriving. Um, and incredibly, Newcastle made a profit on him. And it's just, you know, how can you go from being in, in the World Cup squad to going to Newcastle and then basically them binning you off after four games saying you're not good enough? It's mad, isn't it? Especially when you're on your debut as well. He was the number nine as well in the France um, World Cup. He had the number nine shirt for that. And then from being that, like you're saying, to then going to Rangers. I mean, it didn't help, though. Um, Dalglish got sacked and then was replaced by Hullet. And I think Hullet just made that decision straight away that he didn't fit. Um, yeah. The only thing I can really add, I mean, and more or less smashed it with, with what you said is um, that he won the golden boot both years in the French league, two years on the trot before moving to, to Newcastle. And um, the Newcastle Chronicle um, actually did a worst ever ta- um, Newcastle signing and he came fourth in it. So that's a bit harsh. <laughs> <laughs> he was signed for three and a half million as well, which 97, 98, wasn't, probably mediocre, wasn't it? Yeah, me- mediocre transfer fee. Someone who's top scorer in the French league, though. Two seasons on the trot, so... Yeah. But yeah, you're right. It, it, that's um, All those outstanding achievements, the expectations would be quite high, and he absolutely did not deliver on them. But yeah, that's a good one. So what number do you have him at, Chris? I had him at number four, mate. Okay. Give Stefan Givarsh at number four. And who's your number four? I've gone with Brett Angle. Oh, yeah. Brett Angel. Angel. Oh, it was Angel. Oh, yeah. It might be. Oh. Um, I, he's, again, he's, he's another one that I, I debated about, but he did come with a bit of expectancy because he absolutely smashed the lower leagues. He was prolific for... South End United and Everton signed him for half a million in 1994, which, you know, back then is quite a lot of money for a lower league team, especially someone like South End. Um, He only managed to score once in 18 Premier League appearances at Goodison Park um, before Everton managed to convince Sunderland to pay 600,000 for him. Um, And then after that, he he didn't really do much else. He went on to... um, didn't do much up in the northeast, uh, despite playing in ten Premier League games for Sunderland, and then he dropped back down in, in, into the lower leagues. And I mean, he was never quite as good as he was at South End, but he did actually start to score again a little bit. But it's like what we were saying earlier: once you hit the Premier League, you don't do anything. Yeah. You seem to lose your confidence. So that's kind of why I put him at number four. Okay. I remember watching him play for South End actually. Um... He was he was really good. He was like a big man striker. He was so good in the box, and he uh, he really dominated defenders with his strength and physical presence and his height. He was really good in the air, and um, yeah, 
it's funny though, as good as he was, I never really thought of him as a Premier League striker. I was a bit surprised when Everton signed him. I think he you found. Know what? I totally forgot he even signed. <laughs> I forgot <laughs> no, he was even in the Premier League. Yeah, but no, that's a good one. I'll move on to my number four then. I went for Lee Sharp. Oh, Lee Sharp. So um, Lee Sharp, obviously, he had a good spell at Man United, uh, where he, he made uh, I think it was 177 league appearances for them. But uh, it was after a series of injuries and with the, the emergence of Ryan Giggs on the left wing, he struggled to actually fit into the side. Uh, and so his performances, though, were strong enough for him to earn a 4.5 million price tag as Leeds United signed him in the 96-97 season. So um, he came in with uh, quite a bit of expectation, uh, but he only managed 26 appearances before he uh, suffered a knee injury. But even in, even in that uh, in those appearances, he didn't really set the world alight. Uh, it was ruled out for the following season with that knee injury, and then he was unable to regain his place in the team after uh, David O'Leary took over from George Graham's manager. So he was sent out on loan to Sampdoria after that. Uh, in 1999... He then ended up joining Bradford for £250,000. Wow. So this is three years after they signed him for £4.5 million. So he just wasn't the same player anymore and he, he didn't really produce anything for Leeds. He had dodgy knees, like you said, I think, and um, he's, he's really done for, wasn't he? As soon as he lost his pace, he, was a, he wasn't half the player that he was before. No, you're absolutely right. And I did debate whether he should be on this list. And um, the conclusion I came to is that it wasn't just about the injuries with him. It was also a bit of an attitude thing. He wasn't really prepared mm. to, to knuckle down and try and produce his best football. And I think having a £4.5 million price tag on him in, the, in 1996, he was never worth that. And um, I think I think they, um, they had high expectations higher than what they should have had. So um, he definitely didn't yeah. deliver on that. No, I remember he's a bit of a party boy, wasn't he, in his Man United days? Yeah. Okay. So that's my number four. So Chris. Yes. Your number three. My number three. Okay. So sticking with the Romanian theme, I've gone with Florin Radicioiu. Oh, okay. Uh, his move to West Ham. Has that's another him, one you can pronounce. Him there. <laughs> I know. Flying, mate. Absolutely he, flying. He was considered. I couldn't really see why he was a flop, though. But So please enlighten us. Okay. Oh, we'll yeah, same do. here. We'll do. Yeah, no worries. So he was bought from Espanyol for £2.4 million in August 1996. He only had 12 appearances, scored two goals. Uh, I think the main problem with this one was managerial, managerial fallout. Um, Harry Redknapp said basically he was one of his two worst signings in history and he struggled to adapt to the physical and competitive nature of the English game. That was one of the reasons why. Was was Marco uh, Fugas his uh, other um, fail? Well, he was the other one actually, mate. <laughs> <laughs> but I... Uh, well, obviously, you spoke about him in the good, bad, obscure. Yeah, so that's my So, yeah, so fell out of him. And the final straw was being 
um, criticised by Harry Redknapp for going shopping with his wife at Harvey Nichols on the day of the FA Cup match. A claim <laughs> that Redditchoy denies he did score in that FA Cup match as well. So I don't quite know what the beef was, but I've got a couple of quotes. I've got a couple of quotes um, that Harry Redknapp said anyway, which are always quite entertaining. Um, the first one bit was uh, I worked for a couple of hours with Adichoy on the first day in training, and I must admit he impressed me. He was a quality finisher, and I really thought he'd be a success. The moment we got into anything physical, he didn't want to know. He just couldn't face being tackled in any shape or form by Julian Dix. Was anxious to get stuck in to see see what he was made of, but Adichoy made it clear that he wouldn't be challenging for anything. Don't don't ask me to explain how a former world class player can suddenly become a fairy, but something has obviously happened to Redditoru, and he completely lost it. Um, Redditoru has since said on in an interview, "It's been a long time since I played in the Premier League. At West Ham, I had problems with the manager. When I arrived, then I quickly returned to Spain with Espanyol. So my experience of English football was very short lived." Looking back at it now, I have a lot of regrets because West Ham invested a lot of money in me and I couldn't live up to that price tag, largely down to my relationship with Harry Redknapp. We couldn't communicate and I found it tough to impose my physicality on the league as the football I I had been used to was completely different. As a player, you are frustrated when you don't play. So when Harry Redknapp put me on the bench, I didn't accept it. Unfortunately, things didn't work out and I decided to go back to Barcelona. I know some West Ham fans regard me as the worst player in history. So, of course, I'm disappointed. And that was part of my career. He was actually sold back to go to Espanyol for 1.7 million. So there was still a loss. But I put him so high, I think, just because of how the animosity was very quickly done. Um, literally in a couple of months, he was suddenly this world-class player and then basically, you know, throwing a bit of mud at him afterwards. <laughs> and I'm sure Julian Dix would have broke his leg at some point or another in a training session. <laughs> By the sounds of things, he was up for it. Yeah. But um, no, I, I put him quite high because I just think that from when I saw him at in the World Cup, mainly he looked a quality striker, didn't he? He had pace. And it's just a shame because I think he probably would have done really good things at West Ham. And for whatever reasons, whether he forced the transfer by being stupid or by Harry being stubborn, I just think that we lost out on a bit of a talent there. And and you could probably class him as a bit of a flop because he went to Espanyol and then scored something like one every two games at the end of that season. So, yeah. So obviously he had it in him. (laughs) That's a good one, Chris. Yeah, definitely justified that. I can give you a give you a fact about Radichoy. Go on then. That's him. Uh, to my to my knowledge, so um, correct me if I am wrong, but he's the only player to have scored in the top flights in England, Spain, Italy, France, and Germany. Wow, that is a good that is a good start. I say that for a quiz question. He could have. Then I was thinking of it because I'm doing the quiz later, but then I thought. I can't remember if I asked it to you already. <laughs> <laughs> That's the problem I'm finding now. Doing the yeah. <laughs> what have I asked you already? <laughs> but yeah, I digress. Uh, Chris, that was really good. Ready to you. That's a quality one. 
Thank you, mate. Right, so uh, yeah, we're into the top threes now. Who's your number three, Ant? Carol Pobolski. Yes. Okay. Go for it. Um, I haven't written very much on this, so I don't know if he... I presume he's on someone else's list. Yeah, Chris. Yeah. 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 Um, so he's, he's, he's another one that had a very impressive European tournament, obviously in 96, which is why I remember him so vividly. He had, he had an absolutely outstanding tournament and then Man United uh, snapped him up for three and a half million and he, he just never really got going for them. And I was I was a bit on the fence to put him up this high, but because of he only didn't really get going because David Beckham then emerged on the scene around about the same time. Mm. Um but then I thought, no, he's he had, he had a good tournament. He'd been quite prolific up until that point as well. Um, he only started 17 times for United, which was a game every month that he was at Old Trafford. Uh, he made 32 appearances, and in total, he only scored six goals. And I, yeah. I just thought, it, you know, I thought maybe he perhaps should have done a bit better over here. When, when you think of some of the other Czech imports we've had around about the same time, your burgers and your smeatsers came over and did, did quite a good job. Yeah. I think it's, um, I, I personally agree with you there, Ron. Um I didn't think he get, he sort of had an easy get out of jail card, didn't he, with the emergence of Beckham. I think he could have been more rigid with what he did. I know at Czech Republic he played on the right wing, but I'm sure he could have played in the middle or com- there could have been, there was competition for places, I'm sure. He would have liked to have played, like I say, in the middle of that, you know, as an attacking, attacking player. Um, I actually uh, looked into this, and he, like you said, he did struggle massively with with Beckham's emergence, and he said the language issue was major because in Czech they didn't learn how to speak English, so came into a club where no one spoke spoke his language. Um, and he did. There is another little bit that I got on an interview with him, and he and he sort of said it was imp- also impossible for me to secure a regular place in the starting lineup ahead of Beckham at the beginning of his amazing career. But I don't feel any bitterness. The players accepted me, and I always tried my best, even though I only came on for the last twenty minute, minutes of games. I didn't have a problem playing for the reserve team either. Not that Geordie Cruyff, because he refused to do so. <laughs> Which I thought was a little bit of a. Uh, I almost considered him actually. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, he needed to be in my list. <laughs> but with Geordie Croft, to be honest, he wasn't a well known person before, was he? He played all right for Alaves and then sort of did it. But um, no, I mean, I agree with you there. And I think there's nothing really more we can really say with it, is it? He got overtaken by Beckham and he just struggled to find a place back. But I'm sure he could have probably have tried probably a little bit more harder than he probably did. But maybe if maybe if he'd gone to a, another English club that was a bit lower down the table, he might have actually done a really good job there. But you know. yeah, I want to be honest. I think you're both being a bit harsh on him. I thought he was a, definitely a quality player. But when yeah. he did play for United, I thought he he made a difference. I thought he was brought a bit of quality to the team. I but, remember um, him having an absolute storm against Liverpool, but. Everyone seems to have a storm against Liverpool. <laughs> All I remember him is the lob that he did for the Czech Republic, that goal. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Excellent. great goal. I mean, the guy, the guy had massive talent. And I think that's why I put him on there, because you know he had the talent there, but he just never quite got it fulfilled, did he, at Man United? 
I I, I agree with with putting him on the list. He's my number nine, though. <laughs> All right. So that was, that was, I'm going to be talking about Popolski anyway. He's not been talked about yet on this podcast, and he's a he's a great player, quality player. So my number three, I've gone for uh, Elena Marcelino, and um, I think he features on both your list, didn't he? Yes. Yes. Number seven for me. Okay. I'll kick us off then. Um, so, for those who don't know, he was a Spanish central defender and he helped Real Mallorca to get promoted to La Liga and then finish in fifth place in La Liga. And he was uh, part of the team that got into the Cup Winners' Cup final. He earned five caps for Spain during this uh, successful period in the team in Mallorca. And this prompted Newcastle to put in a £5.8 million bid for him in 1999. Unfortunately, though, he suffered a series of injuries and he only made 20 appearances in the league for them between 1999 and 2003. And that included at one point being out of action for two months due to a snapped finger tendon. (laughs) (laughs) So he was the very definition of injury prone. In the end, he he left the club for free and he signed for a Spanish second division team had a season there and then he retired. So, yeah, he didn't really achieve anything after um, he'd signed for that 5.8 million in 1999. No. Uh, so, you got much to add? The, um, only thing I was, uh, the only thing I was going to add was this little funny story of because he became Benitez's kind of scout when Benitez was going to take the Newcastle job. Oh, right. And um, he went to a few Newcastle games and they were still ribbing him about his finger. <laughs> This is what 10, 10, 15 years later. Like, How's your finger? Yeah, he's very injury prone, wasn't he? Um, well, like Dan said, it's sort of like 17 appearances in four years. Wow. Sure. I can only go on what, what I read, and um, they sort of didn't know whether he was a player or a prisoner in his own contract or whether he was trying to sabotage his time at Newcastle himself. I just think it was a very unlucky player at a very unlucky time, in my opinion. I don't think any professional player would have that many small injuries that (laughs) that would culminate (laughs) on you not hardly playing any games in four years. Well, it's it's a bit like when I talked about Yari Lipman a few weeks ago. Yeah, uh, yeah. Every possible little injury happened to him. And yeah. I think you just get players like that, don't you, unfortunately? Yeah, just that look, isn't it? All right, so that was my number three. Yeah, Chris, who have you got number two? Uh, Massimo Taibi. So that's Ant's number 10. He's <laughs> <laughs> my number two. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, no worries. So uh, this was a purchase for my... Alex Ferguson in 1999 uh, for 4.5 million from uh, Vicenza. Again, another one from there um, as a replacement for Schmeichel. We also gave competition to Mark Bosnich and Vang de Hau as well, but he obviously got his debut quite quick into his career there. Um, I think due to injuries to both of them too. Um, he won man of the match against Liverpool, despite flapping a free kick in that game. I think he saved a couple of one-on-ones on on that game. Um, But then, unfortunately, then another error 
came from a shot by uh, Matt Letizier, Dan's favourite player. Uh, squirmed through his squirm through his hands, if everyone remember that one. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, nothing much you can say. As a goalkeeper, it's always said, doesn't it, that you put your body back and don't close your legs, don't you? <laughs> so yeah, it doesn't went through his legs, didn't it? It did, yeah, it went through both. Unbelievable. And I watched then, it again uh, today. <laughs> yeah, same here. Somebody sent me the meme of it on um, Twitter when I asked the questions, so I'll be able to tell you on the socials what people say. Yeah. Um, then um, a 5-0 loss the following weekend to Chelsea. Forced him to to drop him, and that was his last ever appearance. He was actually left to go on loan to Regina. Then in January two thousand, that was really the that was it, really it for him. His career at Man United. He did admit, though, later on in an interview, it was actually only last year that it was his decision to leave Man U, and Fergie wanted him to stay. <laughs> I don't know how much that was true, but hey, hey. Um, but yeah, I'll put him number two because it was just, I think it was a, the chain of events that happened during his goalkeeping as well, wasn't it? <laughs> it was just, you know, you, you come off that, what happened against Matt Letizia and that was just unbelievable. And then you get thump 5 nil the next game. Yeah. It's that, that, Matt, that Matt, Matt Letizia goal, it's not just that it, the, the shot went through his hands and through his legs, and which is bad enough. But the shot itself, it's it was so timid. He scuffed it. It, it yeah. bounced about four times. It was straight at him. And it's, it's, he watched it all the way and got his body behind it. But then he, it still managed to go through his hands and his legs. Oh. It's ridiculous. It was, it was absolute madness. It was like he never, bless him, like he never goalkeepered before. <laughs> they, they just sort of got somebody. He to walk. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, anything. Yeah. 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 The, the, only, the, the other thing I've got to add, which is it's quite a big factor actually, if we put him at number two on the list, is that after that howl against Letizia, the English press called him the blind Venetian. <laughs> yeah. If, if that's not condemnation as a flop, then I don't know what is. <laughs> I know. That pun. Do you have anything else on that one, Ed? No, not really. I mean, I, I, I perhaps should have been a bit higher on my list, but um, the reason I put him at ten really was because he wasn't that well known when he came to Man United. I know he played in Milan, but he, I'd, I'd never heard of him. I don't think many people had that then. And no, that's was it four, four million in ninety was it ninety nine? Still quite a lot. Not still not a lot. Incredible. I wouldn't say it's an incredible lot. And I just thought he had sort of two. Goodish games out of two. That you know, yeah. a few howlers. Mm. I, I, I kind of gave him benefit of the doubt, but I knew he'd be higher up on your list. So. <laughs> I wasn't <laughs> trying to be controversial. I just thought I'll, I'll put no, him no, number no. ten. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. No, that's fair enough. There's, uh, there's more than one way to look at that. Uh, you, you have got me thinking now, though. In 1999. Can you think of any goalkeepers that cost more than £4.5 million? This is what I mean. I think Buffon was the world record goalkeeping transfer for like about 20-odd years before um, before the Premier League decided to smash it with um, Kepa. I swear that... Well, if anyone, if anyone could uh, look it up and email us, then please do so. Yeah. <laughs> That's a bit of homework for you guys. <laughs> 
Okay, so that was your number two, Chris, and mine as well. And who did you have at number two? Chris Sutton. Ooh, yeah, here's my number one. Okay. And do you want to talk us through Chris Sutton? Yeah, yeah, I'll give it a go. Um, so after scoring 35 in 102 games for Norwich and then 50 for 50 in 131 for Blackburn, I think, uh, Chelsea then decided to buy him. I think it was about 10 million, if I remember rightly. Um, which was a club record fee at, at the time, but he, he just he never got going for Chelsea. He managed one goal in 28 Premier League games, yeah. um, and he also scored, which was in uh, a five 0 thumping of Man United. He scored two goals in the European tie with Skonto Riga, um, but that was pretty much it. And um, he was soon shunted out of Stamford Bridge after that one season. And it was just. You know, how do you go from scoring all these goals from Norwich and Blackburn? You know, part of the he, he he was part he was part of the Blackburn title team as well, wasn't he? Yeah, he yeah. sure was. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then just you know going to a, an up and coming Chelsea team and not being able to hit a barn door. No, yeah. fans went against him early doors as well with that. So yeah, I, I've got that his price tag and the style of play were an issue. Struggled to live up to this. Obviously, they were starting to bring in a, a few more flair players. Um, he actually said, did a bit of digging on it, he failed to make the bench for that year's FA Cup final. I mean, not even making the bench. I mean, that's just mental, isn't it? Um, and then, like like Ant said, he was sold to Celtic for six million. And then he also, he's looked back on it himself and he said, I had years of trying to get away from my time at Chelsea because I was crap. These things happen, but when you, you go for big money, you're expected to score goals. People expect to return, and quite rightly so. I lost a bit of confidence. It was the first time in my career I'd done that. As a striker, you can't hesitate, and you need to be proactive and anticipate. I think I hesitated, and if you do that, you're dead. But I don't blame anyone else. I like Viali, so I wouldn't go down that route of blaming styles or systems of play. It was all down to me being bang, 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 ever average. Get my words out. So I think that's quite a fair, fair point that he said himself about his own career. Yeah. And um, that's why I put him at number one, because like Ant said, 10 million back then was <laughs> hell of a lot of money. Yeah. And it sounds like he felt the price tag on his shoulders, the burden on his shoulders. At Blackburn, he obviously had Alan Shearer as a strike partner. And then he's suddenly the big the big man in lights on his own. And I think he struggled to to cope with it, which is fair enough. I mean, it takes a certain person to do it, doesn't it? So then he went to, he yeah. sort of went to Celtic and then had Hendrik Larson and he was fine. So. Yeah, I struggled to, um, to really, uh, Come to terms with that, to be honest, because he obviously won the title with Blackburn. He was part of a great strike partnership with Alan Shearer. I thought he'd be full of confidence, and he had. That's why he had such a big reputation. Uh, he was actually relegated with Blackburn in the ninety-eight, ninety-nine season, and that's when Blackburn offloaded him. And they still managed to get ten million for him because of that uh, goal-scoring form he showed when Blackburn won the title. Yeah. So he, for me. He should have recognised the fact that he is a title winner. He is still a top forward. Chelsea believe he's a top forward. No, I mean, it was quite a candid interview, obviously, that I read there. And 
I just think that he sort of obviously put himself at blame and you can't really, that's why he's a flop <laughs> and he admits it. Right, simple as that really, isn't it? <laughs> I was I was actually quite surprised at how bad he was at Chelsea. I, yeah. I yeah. seem to remember him actually being all right there. And then when I actually looked at it, I was like, oh, he, he didn't do much at all. All right. I think I'm going to go out on a limb and say that I think we might have to save number one. Well, Chris hasn't because he's gone for Chris Sutton. <laughs> I, I think Chris has done a Chris tonight. He's done. A, he's, done a, he's probably done a Chris tonight if he's not got this tonight. <laughs> isn't it? Go on then. Who have you got? Oh, I've got Thomas Broden at number one. Snap. Yeah, I don't know, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you guys were going to do it, so that's fine. That's not a reason, Chris. <laughs> No, that, that was good. I, I had a funny feeling you, you weren't, but that's all right. No. <laughs> so, um, did he? Did you? Did he um, get consideration from you, Chris? He did. Yeah, of course he did. But I just looked at it and thought, I knew you two were going to do it, and so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh dear! <laughs> I feel a bit better now about Taibi. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, I've made quite a few notes on this one. So Thomas Brolin, uh, he won the, the Cup Winners' Cup with Parma in 1993 and the UEFA Cup with them in 1995. He also helped Sweden to the semi-finals of Euro 92 and the semi-finals of the World Cup in 1994. He was named in the, the All-Star team of the World Cup and to this day he's the only Swedish player to be named in an All-Star World Cup team. And he was also voted in fourth place in the Ballon d'Or that year. So, talking one of the best footballers in the world at that time. Unfortunately, though, he actually suffered a broken foot at Parma, and he struggled to get back into fitness. Uh, the following season, Parma actually signed Christo Stoikov as a replacement. They signed for £4.5 million, and Brolin found first-team football hard to come by after that. So, Brolin started looking for a new club, and he joined Leeds in November 95 for £4.5 million. Now, things started well as Brolin got four goals in his first couple of months with the club. But then shortly after that, Brolin had his first clash with manager Howard Wilkinson after a 5-0 drubbing against Liverpool. And uh, Wilkinson criticised Brolin for failing to track back. Uh, Brolin later claimed in a Swedish football magazine that his performance was a protest against Wilkinson for playing him out of position. And I've got a quote here. It says, It may not sound that bad to be a wide midfielder at Leeds, but the defensive responsibilities I had, it's not like when I had Roland Nielsen behind me in the Swedish national team. At Leeds, I was going to run up and down the right like an idiot the whole game. That wasn't me. So I decided I was going to be piss poor against Liverpool. Wow. Wow. I can't believe someone actually admitted to playing purposely badly. (laughs) So uh, the relationship soured further as Wilkinson heard in the press that Brolin wanted to spend the rest of the season on loan in Sweden. Uh, Brolin had to come back with his tail tucked between his legs and tell Wilkinson that this was actually an April's Fool's joke that had gone wrong had it been reported in the press as fact. Oh, my God. Uh, in 1996, Leeds shipped Berlin off on loan to Zurich and then to Parma. Uh, at that time, they had a change of management in Leeds and George Graham took over. 
Uh, when asked about Verlin, he stated at a press conference that the club had not heard anything from Verlin and he didn't even have a phone number for him. When he did return to Leeds, George Graham had Verlin's passport confiscated so that he couldn't disappear out of the country again. In 1997, Brulin was uh, axed from the first team squad by George Graham over weight and fitness issues, and he was told to find another club. Uh, Thomas Brulin took this quite literally, and he was fined for missing training for three days in a row at that time. Uh, a few months later, sorry, a few weeks later, Brulin was fined again for missing training, and this time it was to attend his dad's 50th birthday in Sweden. And after making a total of 19 league appearances since he signed in 1995, he managed to score four goals over a two-year period. And by this point, Leeds had lost patience with him and he had his contract terminated. Uh, he then turned up at Crystal Palace and appeared to have put on even more weight. And as Crystal Palace faced Leeds, the Leeds fans let him know about it. Of course they did. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, soon after that, the Brown actually retired from football altogether, aged twenty-nine. Wow! I could have sworn he was. I could have sworn he started back up, like in the Swedish leagues, as a goalkeeper because he was obviously that big. He, he, I think he played a game as a keeper, but he didn't pursue a career as a goalkeeper. He's actually a poker player now. <laughs> I think well, he, started, he started off as a vacuum cleaner salesman or something when he retired, didn't he? <laughs> I read. <laughs> Not sure how reliable that is. That was the story back in the day. But this, but is this, guy, I... this guy came fourth in the Ballon d'Or and was signed for £4.5 million in 1995. This is what I mean. It's just madness, isn't it? Like, he had the whole world at his feet. And yet his own stubbornness has sort of cost him his own whole career. It's unbelievable. Yeah. I just can't get over that fact. He played deliberately played badly against Liverpool. <laughs> to prove a point. I mean, how petulant is that? Seriously. I bet there's still one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. One other thing I forgot to mention is um, his first goal for Leeds came uh, against Sheffield Wednesday. Where uh, What happened? <laughs> He was uh, chasing the ball down in the penalty box and he tripped over. And as the defender went to clear the ball, he actually belted it against Brunin's face as he lied on the floor and it deflected into the goal <laughs> of his face. <laughs> That's brilliant. It, it always comes up on comical goals in Premiership era. Oh, dear. Yeah, this, this guy, he, he's head and shoulders above everybody else in terms of Premier League flops. It's incredible. No, well done. No, you've done well there, lads. Have you got any um any honourable mentions? Honourable mentions, yeah. I've got three. Wow, okay. I haven't got many notes on them, so don't worry. Um I've I've had Sean Dundee. Oh yeah. Who claimed he was quicker than Michael Owen. <laughs> but I decided that again he didn't come with much expectation and he didn't cost much, so yeah. my list. Uh John Dahl Thomason at Newcastle. Oh was he oh, in the 90s? I'm pretty sure he was 90s. I could be wrong. Fair play. Fair play. No. Um, he was too similar to Stefan Guibarch for me, so I left him off. And I also had Chris Kaiwamia at Arsenal. Oh, my God. I forgot about him at Arsenal. Yeah. Um, he, he was signed in 95 for £1.25 million. Oh, 
and he made 14 appearances in over three seasons, scoring three goals, having been fairly prolific for Ipswich. Wow. Wow. That's That's uh, sad. I actually had myself, I just had the one. I mean, I'll be honest with you, I had a few names. (laughs) You know, in my early years. (laughs) No, um, I actually had a couple of players, but then I realised I was a couple of years out. And I'll tell you them, because I'll be honest. Adi Akibai. Yeah, I I thought he was 90s. But joined in 2000. And also, I said Junior Lewis joined in 2000. So I had to make a few changes, but I'm glad I did because I was happy with the ones I had. And then I had Martin Darlene, actually. You had Thomas Broly. Yeah, I considered him. I considered him, but I thought it's a bit harsh because he had a major injury yeah, while he was on loan. So he wasn't, he didn't do particularly well at Blackburn before he went on loan, but I think it was he went on loan to get fitness to go back. But I just thought he then had a, a major injury, so I just thought, no. I always thought he was quite decent. Maybe I'm misremembering him. I think he scored something like four goals in 20 or 29 oh. appearances or something like that. Three of them were probably against Liverpool. That's probably why I remember him. <laughs> uh, I only had one on a bench, and that was uh, Silvio Marich, Newcastle player. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember him. Yeah, I, I don't, to be honest, but um, he signed for three, signed for three point five million, and then a year later he was sold to Porto for two hundred and seventy thousand. After making very little impact. Wow! Right then, I've got some socials if you want to hear them. Yeah, what have the people come up with? Well, the socials have been mad, mate. To be honest, I don't. <laughs> um, so the first one is uh, Rodney McCain. He said Brolin. Givash and uh, Kevin Davis. So yeah, I think solid that's picks. a full solid pick. Um, then I had a, something from Good Citizen, Bad Citizen. Um, that, that's, um, that was Marco Bugas. Yeah. Obviously, we I'll, would have I'll added him. <laughs> Danny West Ham and Thomas Brolin. I think Danny was about that sort of time in the 90s. Um, and then I had um, Alex from the Alan uh, Alan Stew pod. And obviously he said George Way is cousin. Um, and then I had a new guy, uh, uh, Sivan John. He said Savo Milosevic for Aston Villa. Ili Demetrescu is on mine. And Sean Dundee. Regista TV said um, Massimo Taibi. Yeah. Obviously. And they, they actually mentioned um, Adi Akambai as well, but obviously <laughs> he was just a season out. Then we got on to um, Stu Lamworthy. We all know him well, friend of the yeah. pod. Um, Ali Dyer, of course, convinced manager he was a cousin of George Weyer. I still don't know how that happened, do you? Even in the 90s. Well, it's Graham Souness. Yeah. Like we said, we have to do a Graham Souness worst signings top 10 at some point. Some horrific signings. I have to do top 20. (laughs) Well, true. Yeah, true. Okay, so then I have to to mention this one last because there's a bit of a story to it, lads. So um, 
And this is Chris Kelly. He's, he normally comments quite a lot on our our pod. So he, he actually said Carol Baborski and Jordi Cruyff at Man United both failed to live up to expectations. Fair enough. He did actually put, first of all, Glenn Helder at Arsenal <laughs> and Ali Dai. And I was going to just go, yeah, that's fine. But then the morning after, Glenn Helder replied himself <laughs> off his own Twitter. I don't know how, how he got hold of it, but he, he, he took it very well, to be honest. There's a lot of laughing faces. You know, I did a couple of laughing faces. And Chris was, uh, bless him, trying to um, make an excuse for it. Bless him. But, um, but yeah, that was quite good, actually, that an actual professional footballer somehow got hold of my tweet. <laughs> laughing at it. I did actually say to Chris, to both of them, do you want to change your pick? <laughs> it's just going to get easier. But, um, but yeah, so I'm, I might get in contact with Glenn, see if he wants to have a couple of words about it, see how yeah. he feels. Defend himself. Get him on. Get him on. That's what I thought. He seems, he seems like a good lad, to be honest. Mm. I mean, most people, thought, most people thought he'd killed himself, didn't they, about 10 years ago? Oh, yeah, so he's definitely really alive. Good now, so he's alive. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, I just found that quite hilarious that an actual professional footballer actually took the time to reply, even if he was with laughing faces. But <laughs> um, but anyway, lads, just to um, go on to the socials, if that's okay as well. Yeah. So I'm going to just give you name you a few countries and go. What does UK, USA, United Arab Emirates, Canada, and Spain have in common? We all got downloads from those countries. There we go. Nice. Yeah, yeah. And oh, sorry, I forgot to add South Korea as well. Um, I have to to thank though um, Scott Martin. He's an editor of the SoccerTimes.com blog. He actually put um, a little feature of us on our last episode with um, with Stu Lamworthy. And I think that helped our, our figures, obviously, up in, in America. So I have to say thank you very much for that. And if you've got time um, to check out the blog, it's um, really about everything to do with football, even from training tips to buying even football boots and all footy equipment um, to just hearing just um, reports on games. So that is the soccertimes.com. If you've got a time to chat to look into that, um, that's really all the socials, mate. It's definitely been quite inter- entertaining with Glenn Helder making a, a guest appearance, anyway. So, brilliant. So, I'll just add to that the uh, the contacts of people if they want to provide us oh, with please, any, yeah. any of the uh, lists that they want us to, to do on the podcast, or if they've got uh, their own suggestions on and they want to tell us where we've gone wrong, email address is var at the bar 2020 at gmail.com. The Facebook page is VAR at the bar, easy to find. And then the Twitter handle is VAR at the bar one.
All right, next up, we've got the quiz. You guys both ready? Uh, uh, yeah. Ready as be. Good. Right, the score's on the doors. Um, I'm ahead in, with eight points. Ant's on six. Chris is on two. Okay. I thought I was closer to you, Dan. I thought I'd got seven. <laughs> oh, no. I Very thought this nice. was going to be the equaliser. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Denzel, Washington, but no. You're not, you're not far off. You're not far <laughs> off. You've caught up. All right. Question one. In the current season, the Premier League, which team has only dropped two points away from home? Man United. Correct. Close well. <laughs> <laughs> now, you've got to remember, I start fast. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Right, question two. Who was the first player in Leicester City's history to score a Champions League goal for the club? I know the club you, you, you scored it against, but... Uh, drink water. No. Was it all Brighton? Correct. I don't know. Against Bruges, wasn't it? Right. Do we get an extra point? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> right, question three. This one I'll test you. Liverpool lost 1-0 to Nottingham Forest on the opening day of the 92-93 season. Who was the only non-UK and Ireland player in the Liverpool team to play that day? Rosenthal. Correct. Oh, well Good old Ronnie. Big Ron. Yeah, big Ron. <laughs> right, question four. And this is a, this is a gamble question. Okay. So in April 1996, Liverpool beat Newcastle 4-3. I want you to do is tell me how many players you can name of the Newcastle starting eleven. Just to make it more interesting, I'm going to tell you that these players were not in the starting eleven, and these are Warren Barton, Darren Peacock, Shaka Hislop, and Keith Gillespie. Okay, like it. So, out of the starting eleven, I'd I'd say that this is their strongest team apart from those four players I've just listed. I'm going to go to Ant first. Four. Okay. I'll go five. Have... Six. I'll go seven. Blimey. What do you say, Ant? <laughs> yeah, I've seen this game so many times. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll try eight. Oh, I'll go nine. Why not? Go on, Chris. Yeah, no, no, go on, Chris. I'll let, I'll let you have a crack. Okay. Right. You're going to need nine, okay, Ant. So we'll go. Okay, so we'll start with goalkeeper. I'm going Cernicek. Correct. Philippe Albert. Correct. I'm going to go big with this. What are the four exceptions again? Warren Barton, Darren Peacock, Shaka Hislop, Keith Gillespie. Okay, I'll go John Beresford. Correct. I'll then go... I'm going to have to go big here, early doors. Steve Watson. Correct. Well done. I thought that was the trickiest one, actually, on the list. Okay, so we're working our way up the pitch now. <laughs> Forget about the other centre-back. I'll go there, play three at the back. It's fine. Um, we'll go... <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> it's all right. I only need nine, so it's fine. Uh, Rob Lee. Correct. Uh, Festino Espulia. Correct. 
David Ginola. Correct. Um, then we go Les Ferdinand. Correct. How many is that? Seven, is it? Need one more, Chris. One more. Oh, for goodness sake. This is embarrassing. Randy Cole. No. Oh, you moved to Manu, my friend. So, Ants, there's three players left. You need to name one to steal the point. Oh, I'm trying to remember what Chris said. <laughs> I can read you them out again. All right. He's given you Pavel Cernicek, Steve Watson, John Beresford, Billy Powell David Ginola, Robert Lee, Justino Aspria, Les Ferdinand. Um, Beardsley. Correct. I was going to say Beardsley. I thought of him, but... Unlucky, unlucky Chris. You, you got some that I probably wouldn't have got. Oh, no, Steve Watson, no. I wouldn't have I said in a million years. Yeah. I feel a bit bad for you, Chris, but you did gamble nine. <laughs> It's all right. It's all right. What What was the other two? The other two, you might kick yourself with this one, actually. Steve Howie, with the centre-back. Oh, yeah. Only the England international, Steve Howie. Yeah. And then mid, <laughs> in the middle of midfield, another England international. Batty. David Batty. Oh. Sexy football. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, never mind. Worth a go. Worth a go. You give it a good go, to be fair. At least you gambled for one. (laughs) Yeah. I know. They played at your game, mate. (laughs) (laughs) Right. um, The scores are tied to all. I've got another gamble question for you. Peter Crouch played for 11 football clubs over the course of his career. How many of them can you name? Who's it to first? Is Is it me? This one is to you first, Chris. I'll say four. I'll go five. I'll go six. I'll give seven a crack. And uh, the floor is yours, mate. Okay. Uh, Liverpool. Seven out of eleven. Yeah, Liverpool, correct. Portsmouth. Correct. Tottenham. Yeah. Stoke. Yeah. Burnley. Yes. Five. Um, Villa. Yes. One more. Uh, Dulwich Hamlet. <laughs> yes. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's oh. the road where we used to live. That's the one I do now. I know. <laughs> I know because, because I remember, I think I did a question about the similar type thing, but not the gambling one. And I thought, oh, because you, you said, oh, Dulwich Hamlets. You went, Peter Crouch straight away. My mate goes to every home game, so I know all about them. Uh, I thought, you know what, you, you know when you sort of give that a question like that to someone and as soon as you they start listing, you think, yeah, I could have probably have done about <laughs> seven or eight myself. <laughs> yeah. No, fair play, Anne. Yeah, no, and the only ones you didn't list there were IFK Hasselhome. Yeah, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Queen's Park Rangers, uh, Norwich, yeah. and Southampton. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, Southampton was one I remembered. But... No, fair play. When you got Burnley and um, another uh, Burnley and Stoke, see, I thought, yeah, fair play. Well, I thought, is Dan counting loan moves here? Because I know he was only on loan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm going to penalise you for that. 
All right, uh, things on the buzzers then. The next question. West Brom have the current worst defensive record in the Premier League, having conceded 39 goals so far this season. Which team has the second worst defensive record? Leeds. Correct. On Ingress. 33 goals. I thought it might be Liverpool. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, that's a good Right, next question. Who is Tottenham Hotspur's most expensive signing? And Doble. Correct. Chris has taken the lead back, 4-3. Making him work for it, Dan, you know. Yeah. All right. On this one, I'm going to read you a list of clubs. You just need to shout out when you recognise the player who's played for these clubs. Yep. AC Milan, Dijon, Lille, Monaco, Saint-Étienne, Borussia Dortmund, Arsenal. Jens Lehmann? No. I can read them again. Sure. Uh, AC Milan... Dijon, Lille, Monaco, Saint-Étienne, Borussia Dortmund, Arsenal. Aubameyang. Correct. Oh, good shout. I didn't know it was AC Milan. But the, the Dortmund-Arsenal no. thing. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. a tricky one, though. A bit misleading. Does that tie the scores at 4-4? A similar type of question. I'll list the clubs. Universidad Catalonia, Boca Juniors, Sevilla, Cardiff City, Inter Milan, Besiktas, Bologna. Gary Modell. Correct. Good shout. Come on, Chris. That's a tough one. 5 4 to Chris. The dirtiest player in Premier League history. You didn't name him as the dirtiest. I know, I know. One of them, though, wasn't it? He was pretty dirty. All right, next question. Which English football league club are nicknamed the Imps? Mansfield. No. Lincoln. Correct. Oh, just beat me to it. Right, 6-4 to Chris. Someone's had the Weetabix today. (laughs) How many questions are left? 11, yeah? (laughs) I've got three questions left. Oh, oh Jesus. Chris. Okay, okay. And I've saved... It's possible, though. Little... That's the problem. I've saved one more gamble question, so I'm going to play it now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay, so brace yourselves for this. Oh, since, God. Since 1872... <laughs> <laughs> Only 15 players have been sent off for England in full internationals. Okay. How many of those 15 can you name? Oh, I'll give you only, fi- only 15? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, only 15. Out of those 15, only four of them were before the 1990s. This shows how dirty the game went, eh? <laughs> yeah. It murkied the water. <laughs> Especially how many times you played Scotland back in the day. <laughs> who's who's going first on this one? Right, so um, with this one, because Chris is in the lead, I'm going to come to him first. Okay. Let's go with a, a sensible two. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go three. <laughs> I can do four. I'll give five a crack. Go on, I do six. Mm. 
Uh, <laughs> I've really got anything to lose. Seven. I'm going to leave you to do seven, mate. <laughs> All right, the pressure's on hand. Okay. Um, Maguire. Yep. Beckham. Yep. Uh, Paul Lint. Yes. Rooney. Goals? Yes. Five. Um, um, Gerard. Yes. Well, six, you need one more. Um, Rob Green. That's correct. Oh, oh well done, mate. Pulled it out the bag there, and Was Reese James one? Uh, he's not on this actually. It's um, oh. Kyle Walker. Yeah, I've got him on my list. Oh. The top. So, um, Alan Mullery, Alan Ball, Trevor Cherry, Ray Wilkins, David Beckham, Paul Ince, Paul Scholes, David Batty, Alan Smith, Wayne Rooney, Rob Green, Stephen Gerrard, Raheem Sterling. Oh, yeah. Walker, Harry when did Sterling get sent off? Against Ecuador in a friendly before the uh, in the, uh, the oh, okay. No, well played, Ant. Yeah. Can't beat that. That, that I knew, I, I, all I remembered was a goalkeeper getting sent off, and I knew it wasn't one of the like the the mainstays. The good ones. <laughs> Sort of uh, reminiscent of your Ro- uh, Robbie Keane listing of clubs. Hey, I, n- I know a lot about Robbie Keane. <laughs> right, what an answer. So the scores are 6 5 to Chris now. Two questions remaining. Oh, no pressure. Which English football league club are nicknamed the Millers? Rotherham. Rotherham. And was there first? Ah. Oh. Draws a tide. Okay. Tiebreaker. Two goalkeepers share the record of keeping 10 clean sheets in World Cup finals matches. Name one. Neuer? No. Buffon? No. Uh, Taffarel? No. Ray Clement? No. We're going to keep going until you get one. Not by Tez. Chris, you've won it. (laughs) (laughs) Joe, I was just coming around to the French national team as well. (laughs) A fellow bull-headed man has helped me win. (laughs) I think you deserved it after your your Newcastle list, to be honest. (laughs) Mate, you fought me hard for it. I, I, remind, I remind myself never to go against you on sending off people <laughs> that have been sent off. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was impressive. Uh, just for the listeners, the oh. um, the other goalkeeper who's also kept 10 clean sheep in World Cup finals matches is Peter Shilton. Uh, awesome. Oh, wow. The man right. Time. So, Chris, yeah, you've, just as Ant's closing the gap on me. You've done me a favour. Yeah, I've helped you out, haven't I? <laughs> it's my next week, so <laughs> I'll be uh, 
<laughs> you keep this up for next week, Chris. Yeah, this could be a three-horse <laughs> race soon. <laughs> you could be like Arsenal coming back from the death. <laughs> I know, coming back from the basement. So, Anne, what have we got ne- next uh, episode then? What's your top tens? Um, so, I thought I won't do a top five next time. I will look back on our predictions of the season, as in which clubs finished where and what players were going to be half decent. Yeah. yeah. And then my top yeah. ten, I've gone with the top ten weirdest friendlies. Oh. Wow. A bit daunted by that one. I think, yeah. I think it'll be an interesting one. I think there's there's a lot out there. I think there's a lot that make you laugh and there's some that will have a bit of history. So you I think Dan's going to relish. See how it goes. He's going to find some 1865 <laughs> matches, <laughs> some random uh, venue. I don't think there's a, a standout number one that Chris can conveniently leave off because he thinks someone else <laughs> do, do you see, though, it must be my... I'm showing, like, a sort of hatred to Leeds here, aren't I? Because, obviously, I didn't put Leeds as a falling grace. Yeah. But, and now I haven't left their worst ever player out as well. So, so that's hatred to Leeds. I thought you'd be doing them a favour, aren't you? I think I am. I, I'm being nice to them. <laughs> In a strange way. I was just thinking, what, what constitutes a friendly match? Though? Well, I, I suppose it's open to interpretation. But, I mean, most friendlies are played pre-season, aren't they, really? Yeah. But if there's a wacky international friendly that you can think of. Does it have to involve professional footballers? No, not necessarily. Oof, now we've opened the doors. Yeah. I mean, I, I, was, thinking, I was thinking of... There, there's. Plenty out there that an international team's come over to England and played yeah. some you know, pub team. Yeah, yeah. Effectively. You know, if you want to put that on your list, that is entirely up to you. It's right, going to be a, a diverse list, I think. Yeah, this is very be- much so. It'd be interesting to see what people say on Twitter to that as well, <laughs> if we get any replies at all. Yeah, it might be a bit overwhelming. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to wait and see with that one. Uh, that's a good one, though. I do like uh, obscure ones. Yeah. So, like uh, Dan said earlier on in the pod, if anyone wants to contact us, then please do so on VAR at the bar 2020 at gmail.com or just tweet us at VAR at the bar. One. Um, one, indeed. Mm-hmm. Or uh, Facebook VAR at the bar. Okay. Well, I think that wraps up episode 17. Yeah. And I've got a win. 2021 is the year of Chris. It's the year of me me becoming great at quizzes. Yeah, well done, Chris. Thank you. you. Thank you. (laughs) Okay, so like I said, wraps up episode 17. So goodbye from me. Goodbye from me. See you later.
Sports Social Podcast Network.